Hello, 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 and welcome to Rational Radio here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station. Um, my name's Amelia, and joining me in the booth today are uh, Valerie and Jenny. So you guys want to say hi? Hey. Hi. How are you guys' weeks been so far? It's been pretty good. I just ate a breakfast sandwich from Richie's, and it was bomb. I love hash browns and hot sauce. Oh, that's the best when he puts yeah. the, yeah, and yeah, when he gets a potato in there. Oh my God. It's good. Yeah, so, yeah, it's it's Monday, but I'm already feeling it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was a, it was a long week, long weekend. You know, everyone's scared about the mumps. So oh my god, everyone's yeah. been on edge. You know, but we're hi, my name's Amelia Winger, and I'm Mumple Made and Mumple Proud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mumple Made. I'm like even afraid being in this room of getting the mumps. I was like at the library, and I was thinking this is a mump sus pool. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, you're right though. Yeah. And apparently there's someone on my floor who has mumps too. And I don't no. know if it's real or not, but that's the rumor I've been hearing. So <laughs> yeah. I'm slightly concerned. So if I'm not on air on Wednesday or next week, y'all know why. <laughs> so anyway, you guys know the drill. Here at Rational, we're all news all the time. So we're excited. We were just talking about this before we um, went live that we don't have anything on Trump today to talk about. And we Woo! are so happy because yes. we can't remember the last radio sh- show that we had where we couldn't say that. Thank gosh. So yeah. Um, This first story that we're going to jump into, though, is very sad. So if you guys have been paying attention to the news over the weekend, you'll have obviously heard about the terrorist attack in New Zealand, in uh, Christchurch, New Zealand. So um, what happened today in the development is that New Zealand is to open an inquiry into what officials knew about the gunmen before the massacre, and they're planning to reform some of their gun policies. So uh, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern of New Zealand ordered an inquiry into what government officials could have known about the gunmen on Friday's massacre before he carried out the attack, and this is coming to you from the New York Times. Uh, She told reporters, quote, the purpose of this inquiry is to look at what all relevant agencies knew or could or should have known about the individual and his activities, including his access to weapons and whether they could have been in a position to prevent the attack. Um, She pledged to change New Zealand's gun laws and said that she will announce reforms within 10 days of Friday's attack. Currently, gun owners in New Zealand must be licensed, which involves a review of criminal activity and mental health, attendance at safety programs, and um, an explanation of how the gun will be used, a residence visit to ensure secure storage, and testimonials from relatives and friends. So it's already like definitely a little more secure than what we have in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Um, Her cabinet has agreed in principle to overhaul gun laws, but need a few more days to finish working out the details. Um, In comparison, Australia, which is right next to New Zealand, enacted strict gun laws in 12 days following a mass shooting in 1996. So New Zealand's actually on track to do this even faster than Australia did then. Um, Gun enthusiasts have obviously pushed back against this, despite evidence cropping up hours earlier that showed that the suspect in the shooting obtained a basic firearms license since in November 2017 and purchased four of his five weapons online between then and March 2018. So all the weapons that he used were legal, which I think is like one of the craziest parts of this whole story to begin with. Um, the suspect is 28-year-old Brenton Tarrant. Uh, Tarrant has been no criminal uh, history in New Zealand or Australia, but has now been charged with murder. Um, in the attack, he used five guns, like we said before, including two semi-automatic weapons and two shotguns that were legally acquired. Uh, he used to work at the Big River Squash Fitness Center in North New South Wales town in Grafton. Uh, the gym manager described him as being, quote, as normal as one person as to the next. He never showed any extremes of extremist views or any crazy behavior. Um, Christchurch Mayor Leanne Dalziel said he targeted New Zealand for its reputation for being a safe space. 
So that's kind of the situation on kind of our newest developments with it. Um, if you guys don't know the background of the shooting itself, it happened on Friday. People, 50 people are dead and 50 people were injured at two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, the ma- and the gunmen mass- um, broadcasted the mass- massacre live on Facebook after publishing an 87-page white supremacist manifesto online. Um, the shootings were first reported at about 1.40 p.m. at the Alnor Mosque and the Lindwood Mosque, the time when these two locations would be the most crowded. Uh, the manifesto appeared only minutes earlier, naming both mosques, and links were posted on Twitter and 8chan to provide a link to the gunman's Facebook page for the live broadcast. Uh, the manifesto included a bunch of sarcasm, red herrings, and allusions to meme culture, as the New York Times put it. Um, Facebook says it quickly shut down the account, but a 17-minute video of it remains showing a man dressed in black, sh- dressed in black, shooting at worshippers who were trying to escape. Uh, the video shows him shooting before he even enters the mosque, and then methodically shooting up each room. He's heard saying at one point that quote, "There wasn't even time to aim; there were just so many targets." Uh, police seized several weapons from the subject and found two explos- explosive devices in his car. So. That's a lot to unpack. But um, so I think my biggest question here is um, how should the social media companies should have handled this? Because they were the ones who allowed this to be broadcast in the first place. And I think that's part of the reason why this is so powerful and moving what happened in New Zealand. The fact that it was broadcasted everywhere and now there are traces of this everywhere and it can never be fully erased. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so today in my Intro to Media and Society class, we were actually talking about this and about how, you know, Facebook took down a bunch of copies of the video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this law that was created in the 90s that said, um, like, you you can be, like, social media platforms are pipelines, not publishers, which means that they have they are a pipeline in which people could publish things but they are not publishers and they don't choose mm-hmm. things but as media became more complex like after the invention of facebook live people um you know facebook had an obligation to pull down all of these videos and there are people's who, jobs who it is to like pull down violent and brutal videos from the internet so i mean i think yeah when they saw it being broadcasted they should have stopped it immediately And even though that was a live feature, you know, it's I think they have an obligation to stop everybody from seeing that mass shooting. Mm -hmm. I agree. And I also think that as soon as a live broadcast went up, there should have been several red flags that have, um, you know, that would have triggered um, someone in the Facebook, you know, tech department saying, "Okay, this should not be on air. Like, cut this like. There should be steps in place that people watch live feeds 24-7 to monitor which ones are okay and which ones are not. You know what I mean? Because, like you said, Amelia, that is never going to go away, unfortunately. Somewhere, somehow, that video will be there because the internet doesn't erase things. Once it's on the internet and in, you know, the web, it's there forever. Like, it mm-hmm. can never be gone. So, and I think it, it is such a horrible, tragic thing for the deaths of 50 people to be not only on video, but to be spread worldwide and to have that footage available somewhere that someone can watch and then further get, you know, extremist views. Yeah. And I think, too, just, like, with all the references to memes in it, like, I know in the broadcast he literally mentions the YouTuber PewDiePie 
like right before he goes into the mosques and things like that and it's like the fact that we've it scares me how desensitized like meme culture has become and everything like that and it makes me worried about like if that's a problem too and if this is like something that I know I personally I love memes you know what I mean I think Mm -hmm. anyone under the age of 25 in the world does who has access to internet and so it's like it's it's scaring me how that could affect something like this and how they could be linked like that and how we've like created a culture of desensitization through it I agree because um there's a lot of memes out there um that talk about you know they romanticize like death or it's very or it's very dark humor and that is at first i think was a central point of meme culture Mm -hmm. because it was it was a way for like teenagers to connect with other teenagers about like serious topics in a way that wasn't so serious you know so the memes are, are aimed to be funny but a lot of them have like serious underlying topics but i think i agree amelia i think it really does desensitize a lot of people because like even even just like the topic of memes as, as a whole like they're meant to be funny yeah so people people will end up thinking that any joke about death or any other really serious topic is inherently funny which clearly it's not like we all can agree that is mm-hmm. not funny and for him to mention influencers like pewdiepie um is like i can't even imagine being that influencer having your name be brought up right before someone murders 50 people yeah and exactly. and PewDiePie, whoever that is, I don't actually know. He has his own controversial past. Yeah, I looked yeah. Up, I, like, I knew he has for making anti-Semitic comments. His own before. scandals, right? Yeah, but I'm sure he did not ask for that. And you also, know? too, like I know he's like a gamer. I think is what his thing is, and so a lot of kids watch that, and so yeah. to have that fan base associated with a terrorist, mm-hmm. that's that's really. I don't know that shakes me up just thinking about it and I don't even follow him so yeah I can only imagine yeah and it's kind of crazy to see this kind of like white supremacist shooting thing occur across the globe like you know Mm -hmm. we only think about it like oh these are like Americans these are crazy people but now it kind of brings the media's attention to the fact that this is a global issue and that like racism is global yeah um you know and i think also how like russians used social media to influence the election well not russians but um the the russian government yeah russian intelligence Mm -hmm. um so i think that really we're starting to see people use social media in really detrimental and negative ways rather than just like self-promotion and self-branding and marketing you know there are all of these like really dark ways to use social media like through memes and as you were saying jenny people need aren't taking it as seriously as they should they might see like a crazy white supremacist mean and meme and just be like oh whoa that's wild but really it's somebody actually feels that way mm-hmm. yeah and it's like i'm not advocating for all memes to have to be like completely over and for meme culture to have to go away right. completely because i think it is in general a very positive thing i just think this extremist aspect of it is very scary the fact that we could let um just like 
public opinion go that far on the spectrum. But you did bring up an interesting point, Valerie, with comparing it to the U.S. And that's something I did want to talk about, too, because we're seeing now it's like it's been three days since the shooting happened and New Zealand's already like getting close to completely overturning and reforming their gun policies. Yet in the U.S., we have similar incidents occur and we just ignore it and we turn a blind eye and we just pretend like we leave our gun policies out how they are so what do you think that we should be learning from this experience with how it's been handled i think if anything we should be learning to take action sooner and that thoughts and prayers do absolutely nothing of course you know mm-hmm. it's like consoling but thoughts and prayers aren't going to get anything done um but i think the the biggest problem is that you know and the biggest difference between america's values versus new zealand's is that america since literally since the american revolution america like the united states has held such a high esteem for the second amendment mm-hmm. and that is going to be in the talons of the american people forever like that's not something you can just get yeah. rid of and that's you know it's a beauty and a curse because the second amendment is a right and i you know people have a right and it's been in the constitution for as long as we can remember because the founding fathers of this country cared that much about having individual you know freedom and right to bear arms but at the same time almost one mass shooting per day it's horrible you know in in i'm pretty sure sandy hook was 2012 i think so it was somewhere in the yeah yeah so you know sandy hook where six-year-olds were murdered in cold blood and the country did nothing and parkland yeah. did nothing las vegas especially vegas parkland happened after las vegas yeah. yeah sandy hook was 2012 and that's the crazy thing is that i remember coming to lauren stain's class one morning mm-hmm. after the shooting in las vegas and it was just like everybody was devastated and i think that um the like founding fathers thought about giving the second amendment as a militia because there was no standing army for the united states mm-hmm. right so separate states would have like militias and then i think in the early 2000s it was like interpreted as an individual standard as an grandma. individual right yeah but i don't mm-hmm. i can't imagine that like the founding fathers would be like oh yeah you could carry around a huge machine gun mm-hmm. you know and yeah and anybody could like it's terrifying seeing open carry yes mm-hmm. like people can just mm-hmm. bust up in anywhere and have a mass shooting at that time terrifying it's it's crazy also because just like that debate of you know right to bear arms versus every you know protection versus um like security that's never going to go away we are yeah. always going to be debating about that forever and that's just and that's just how yeah, it's going to be. It's just how it has to be with how this country is, is constitutionally formed. Mm-hmm. But on that note, we do need to go to our first commercial break. So when we come back, we'll be talking about something else. So stay tuned, guys, and we'll see you in a little bit. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to WHIP Radio, Philly's number one college radio station. Um, and you're listening to Rational Radio. I'm Valerie, and we're here. Before the break, we were talking about the shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand, and a little bit about those facts. And now we're going to switch to a topic that I am very excited about, um, gay rights. So the U.S. High Court rebuffed Hawaii, a Hawaiian 
bed and breakfast that turned away a lesbian couple, and the source is coming at you from Reuters. So today, on Monday, the Supreme Court declined taking up um, this case about gay and religious rights. So the justices refused to hear an appeal from Phyllis Young, the owner of the bed and breakfast that denied a same-sex couple. And lower courts in Hawaii ruled that the owner of Aloha Bed and Breakfast, Phyllis Young, violated a discrimination law by not allowing the same-sex couple to rent a room. Young's reasoning for turning away the same-sex couple was her Christian beliefs and claimed that she was exercising her constitution given freedom of, of religious rights. And something her lawyer said is the only romantic partners allowed to share a, two, a bedroom are a married man and woman. The Honolulu bed and breakfast incident happened in 2007 when Diane Servili and Taco Bufford were a couple. And they're no longer now but they still sued the um, Aloha Bed and Breakfast and won the case in Hawaii. But then Phyllis Young appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. So I did not expect the U.S. Supreme Court to reject this because um, just back in 2018, the Supreme Court chose the side of a baker who refused to make a wedding cake for a gay couple due to his religious beliefs in Colorado. This was a very recent case. And this, so I was kind of confused what made the Supreme Court decide to um, take the side of the same sex couple with the bed and breakfast case instead of the same sex couple with the wedding cake case because I feel like it is the same type of services and these are both acts of denying services due to discrimination of sexuality. So what changed in 2018 to 2019? Like, is there a new year, new LGBTQ friendly attitude? I mean, I'm for it, but I'm interested in why. Um, what do you guys think about this? Yeah, I mean, like, that's the thing that surprised me the most about this, because the court right now is more conservative with ever, especially, mm -hmm. and it's more conservative than it was when it heard the 2018 case, because now we have um, Chief Justice um, Kennedy at the center of it. Mm -hmm. And so it's so surprising that they would choose to uphold a liberal policy and a liberal precedent when they have the option as a conservative court to make it more um, idealistically aligned with what they believe in. But I think, I guess, like, Maybe it has something to do with it. There's not just like in the um, judicial principles and clauses that the court was settled on. Maybe they can't, as a court, make an argument that there isn't that there wasn't that, that the um, trial wasn't fair. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's like maybe part of it is just that with like the methodology with the trial is fair. And so they don't feel that they can overturn it or should have to reexamine it. Or take it like take that opportunity away from a different case. I don't know, but I guess that's kind of where my my mind jumped at first because I can't like as much as I would love to say that the court has like a more LGBTQ friendly <laughs> attitude. Like I'm not sure if I buy that. Yeah. So. Um. So I'm reading the article right now, and I read it um earlier, but so my interpretation is that Phyllis Young, who is the owner of this uh, bed <clears> and breakfast, <throat> it says that she violated a hawaii anti-discrimination law mm -hmm. so i think 
in, um, in the lower courts, it might be on a state-by-state state basis. Mm-hmm. So I think originally, um, in Phyllis Young's case, I think her violation of the Hawaiian anti-discrimination law is a different like case altogether than the one that happened with the baker yeah mm-hmm. um but yeah i think it i think it does bring into question the larger picture of we have a very conservative um supreme court right now and yeah. i'm i'm very intrigued to hear hopefully what they have to say if they do release like a statement on why they went this way yeah because i feel like and they then have they went, to they have to release some sort of explanation for this one in particular. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I think they know that people are going to question this because it is kind of a golden opportunity for them if they were to take it. But I mean, like, I'm very personally happy that they're not taking it, but I'm confused. Maybe maybe if they did take it, I think maybe they know that they would, like, lose. Does that make sense? Like, I think I think there would there might be too much invested in it that if they did vote um, more conservative, that there would be, like, national pushback. Because the Baker story was already, like, it already made national headlines. Mm-hmm, that's so true. I think if they had two stories in, like, two cases in a row where they just completely discriminated against um, mm-hmm. an entire group of people, that would be, like, it, it would make national outcry, I think. Yeah, and maybe I guess because they already like they already established that precedent, so it's not like they need to like completely um, make a new one or anything like that. It's already there for them to act on in the future. So I guess they just like maybe didn't want to like you know I don't want to say waste time on it, but give it more time they than it's necessary. Cause more yeah, strike. no need to cause more um, like out public outcry against it when we already have enough against the government right now. Mm-hmm. And we don't actually know what was in, you know, because we weren't obviously there in the court yeah. when it all went down. So maybe the way that Phyllis Young made her appeal did not align right with the conservative values even of the Supreme Court. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So yeah. maybe maybe that like the way the, the uh, case went down in court didn't really hold up in the sense of the Baker story with denying the lgbt cake um but i'm i mean on a larger scale i'm glad that they that they didn't accept this case because just as much as someone has the right to religion someone has the right to go in a public business do you know what i mean yeah like i don't understand how someone can say they like how someone can decide who has the right to a, a public to visit a public business or not mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and i think in the case with the baker maybe because the baker was making it himself that like he was actually applying himself by making the cake but mm-hmm. like the bed and breakfast is like you just rent the room you don't have to interact with them you don't have to talk to them if yeah. you don't want to you know if yeah. you really are that like um unhappy with their life choices just to just let them rent the room and ignore them just let them be on mm-hmm. their merry way. You can be on your merry way. Yeah. But I think in the case of the baker, maybe it was a, maybe it was an issue of, like, connecting with them one on one. Yeah, because I think we, making a wedding cake definitely is a much more personal process mm-hmm. than having to just literally rent a room and then not even have to see them. Because you have you don't to talk to. to them, get their ideas. Yeah. Make sure they like. And you it. have to like. It's kind of like telling their love story and yeah. cake pastry form. In the, so in the article in Reuters, it said that 
the court had said that it was more like an expression Mm -hmm. to make a cake rather than renting a room. But I still feel like it's if you do that, like, I mean, I still think that they they should have forced him to make the cake but yeah um, I do too and like I think that they're not like personally to me they're not very different but I guess like if you have to split hairs like that I guess I could see where they would be split but I don't agree with it personally yeah Mm -hmm. if you really scrutinized it you could easily nitpick but I think on a larger scale I don't know like I I don't understand how someone can deny someone the basic thing of just being openly sex like having an open sexuality like me you know i'm personally straight but if i have a friend who is of the lgbtq plus community their choices does not affect my choices of sexuality do you know what i mean Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i don't i don't understand how someone can just outright deny someone that right to be who they are but at the same time, you, you you really can't force someone, like to play devil's advocate for a second, you can't force someone to do something they really don't want to do. So like if he did, if this baker did not want to make the cake, you can't say you have to make the cake because ultimately it is his business. His he can, he can do with it whatever mm-hmm. he pleases. But do I think it's wrong, his opinions? Absolutely. But at that point, if I had a discriminatory person that I wanted to work with, as soon as I knew and realized that they were discriminatory, I just would have left. It, it's it's mm-hmm. not, I don't think it would have been that, like, I, I don't think I would have put that much time and effort into someone who clearly had no respect for my being, mm-hmm. you know, like just, just, I would just go somewhere else, just avoid them. Cause you can't change people's opinions. Mm-hmm. They're going to think whatever they want. And that's, that's, that's how I see it. And yeah. I think, too, like, if they're claiming that they're discriminating based on a religious purpose, then how else does their religion play into how they run the bed and breakfast? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like, do they refuse other activities or anything like that because it goes against their religion? Or is it literally just this? Yeah. And then if it's just that, that's discrimination. Yeah, like, exactly. I yeah. think people, I think, I think, Amelia, you brought up a good point. I think this woman, Phyllis, I think there's a woman. Yeah. Um. Or, you know, not to gender, but I think this person was just trying to pick and choose mm-hmm. which ones that they could pinpoint on this couple just because they just have discriminatory views. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of people in the greater public, especially now with social media and how everything's always connected, people pick and choose things that they don't agree with and tag religion onto it Yeah, as a way to excuse their terrible opinions you know and to go beyond that i don't think someone's opinion you know i think there's a difference between someone's opinion and just outright denying someone the basic right of being who they are Mm -hmm. you know what i mean because my opinion could be like oh like i don't like amelia's sweater which is a lie (laughs) but i like my opinion would be my opinion would be oh i don't like amelia's sweater that's an opinion okay but i don't think someone's opinion could be oh i don't like gay people or i don't like lesbians because that's just not i don't think that's an opinion really because it doesn't matter whether you like them or not because they're still gonna be gay or lesbian or whatever else regardless of if you agree or not Mm -hmm. do you know what i mean yeah Mm -hmm. and i think that definitely when you are a business owner like saying like it was also probably a statement to phyllis and the wedding cake baker i'm not sure what his name was of saying like I don't 
approve, like we don't approve of gay people in this establishment, you know, so it was also a statement for their business. Um, do you guys think that we'll see more of these liberal decisions for the Supreme Court? No, I think this is a very rare instance in a long line of future conservative decisions. You know, because Justice, um, what's his name? Chief Justice or Chief Justice Kennedy? Kennedy, Kennedy. Oh, he just got he just got in, unfortunately. Um, Chief Justice Kennedy, you know, is now on the board, and I'm. Oh wait, no, that's Kavanaugh that you're talking about. Oh. Gosh. Sorry, I thought you were oh talking my, about, yeah, my bad. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. With Chief Justice Kavanaugh now on the Supreme Court, and RBG is kind of getting up there in age, oh, no. and some of the other ones are getting up there in age, too, I think it's going to be really interesting to see where it leans because, you know, Kennedy tips the scale towards conservative, but what happens in the next few years is going to be very, um, very big. But I think overall, I, unfortunately, I don't think it's going to be very you know, liberal or left-leaning. I don't either. And I think the only reason that they... I think it's because they have this precedent from the 2018 case is the reason why they didn't take up this particular case. And so it's because they already have this existing idea that they're going to go against the rights of the LGBTQ community that they felt that they didn't have to take up this particular one. So as much as it disappoints me to say, I do think that they're going to continue to lean more conservative. Mm -hmm. And I think especially too, like this is one of the biggest power cards that Trump has left in his arsenal at this point is being able to appoint different um, Supreme Court justices. And this will allow him to continue whatever legacy um, after he leaves office because those appointments are for life or like and for good standing. So, yeah, I think it's definitely not I don't think it's any new revolution or anything like that. I think also um, with Kavanaugh, even when he was still getting elected or when he was in the process, people were really questioning Roe v. Wade. Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to be really interesting in the next few years, unfortunately, how that all comes into play. Yeah, okay. absolutely. I'd be really interested to see about how any of those issues mm -hmm. are going to be addressed in the coming years. But on that note, we do need to go to our second commercial break. So, um, yeah, stay tuned, guys. I can't wait to see what's coming up next. And we are back. You are listening to Rational Radio here on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station, coming to you from the Temple University Tech Center. So, um, yeah, we got this third story coming up. And Jenny, you want to give the rundown? Yes. So this story is coming from the National Public Radio. And um, the title of this article is basically hashtag nuns too are speaking out. So after the international phenomenon of Me Too, um, which started in 2017, where women and men around the world stood up in protest against widespread sexual assault and sexual harassment, Pope Francis acknowledged a long-standing secret within the Catholic Church surrounding sexual abuse of nuns by priests. So the hashtag nuns Too movement is starting to open up previously closed doors into what Lucetta Scaffa, an editorialist and history professor, said is the, quote, clerical culture of all-powerful priesthood. Um, she also goes on to say, quote, some men are truly men of God, but others have been ruined by power. Um, so the article kind of explains that nuns are taught that they can always say no and that it is their fault if a holy man seduces them into committing the sin of rape or sexual assault and abuse. 
And it goes on to say, nuns who subsequently get pregnant from the rapists often become shunned or outcasted by their order. And Sister Catherine Aubin, who is a French Dominican nun that teaches theology, says the widespread abuse is a result of male domination in church leadership. And the first extensive report of abuse of women in the church was in 1994. And this report focused on Africa, but also included 20 other countries, such as Italy, the United States, Ireland, and the Philippines. Pope Francis has also acknowledged the long-standing abuse and the nuns are speaking out. The hashtag MeToo movement has opened doors for other victims of the same type of, view of abuse to speak up and stand speak out and stand up and has given many nuns the courage to break their silence. Hashtag nuns too movement has come around the same time where there has been more abuse within the within the Catholic Church being uncovered. Most notably of this is George Pell, who was a treasurer treasurer to the Vatican and was convicted of sexually abusing two choir boys. And George Pell was the highest ranking Catholic figure to be found guilty of abuse. So this is a lot to unpack. Um, do any of you guys have any initial thoughts when you first, you know, read this article? Yes. Um, I love Pope Francis. He is the number one pope. Um, I went to Catholic school for a year and like it was around when he first was put into popeship. The, the Vatican. Yeah. And he just, you know, he's just such like the way that he accepts gay rights and you know i just feel like he is such a forward pope i mean of course everybody could probably do more but he's awesome um but i am not surprised by this and i always wondered about this um you know like the hierarchy of power as you were saying and i always wondered about like young nuns coming into a church with priests and being told about this you know like sin and stuff i think it is incredibly tragic that for nuns people who decide to devote their life to catholicism and the mission of catholicism are told that if they are raped um that they it's their fault because they were seduced into the sin of rape like i think that is kind of betrayal to them after they decided to devote their life to this cause to blame them for that and then if they get impregnated from rape to shun them even though it is not their fault at all yeah and i think too just like the whole act of rape itself is about taking control away from someone mm -hmm. so then to pin that control back onto them like that after they've been so violated and especially too because i think with Christianity like you need to have respect for yourself in order to like worship it how it needs like how it needs to be worshiped and so because I think just respect from your, for yourself is the start of any foundation for respect for other people and respect for a higher power so the fact that this is being taken away from them and the fact that they are being told that they can't even trust themselves and their own like perception of the truth is so horrible yeah and i think this points to a larger issue like i mentioned before the break um with the other story about the lgbt um scandal i think that people use religion as a way to explain their terrible 
actions. Mm-hmm. And I, I've thought about this my entire life. And I was raised Roman Catholic mm-hmm. um, from pre-K up until eighth grade. So I was pretty invested in the church. My mom is very Catholic. And I, you know, I respect her for that and everything. But me personally, I just, I can't understand how people use religion as a way to further their terrible actions and their views and opinions. And this is just a, like Valerie, you said, this is just a horrible instance of these women who dedicate their lives to the church and Mm -hmm. service of the less fortunate. And they give themselves up to what they believe is a higher power to have it all just ripped away by the hands of these men who just want power and they just want, you know, they just want power and domination. And like Amelia, you said, the act of rape and sexual abuse and sexual assault is just power and domination. And I think that it points to a widespread issue within the Catholic Church of the male hierarchy of, you know, women not being in positions of leadership and men having all of the the say and the power and ultimately the money because in the article that um, was published by NPR it said that a lot of the some nuns who became impregnated by the rapists decide to get abortions these abortions need to be funded by their abusers or their priests Mm -hmm. because these nuns Mm -hmm. don't have money they don't make money they really don't and it's it's such a shame because the nuns who end up being impregnated or there's their um experience of the sexual assault that gets out and they're shunned by their um order they have nowhere to go they have no money if they're Mm -hmm. kicked out of the order what are they gonna do you know what i mean exactly especially too because like the order has defined their entire perception of the truth and like what is just and what isn't just in this world so to have not only the protection and the stability of the order taken away but that entire like your entire worldview and understanding of the universe stripped away too is awful i agree and also like these nuns are taught that if you speak out you're going against a holy man who Mm -hmm. represents ultimately god you know these women are taught it's your fault because you seduced a holy man to commit a sin when in reality, these men are just, in my opinion, just disgusting human beings that don't deserve their titles. And it to have it be on such a widespread, long-standing scale is just so heartbreaking. And I've even wondered too, Valerie, um, about why this isn't getting so much national attention or international attention. Because, of course, you know, Pope Francis luckily said something, but there could always be more done so actually that was something i wanted to bring up is um how far up the ladder do you think this abuse goes in terms of you know hierarchy because we saw with george pell he was the treasurer for the vatican so how how widespread do you really think this issue is i think it's significantly higher up than the media is currently like is currently portraying and I don't think that that's the media's fault either I think it's just the fact that as you go higher up the ladder they become better and better at covering scandals like that because there's more at stake and more power yeah and so and I think people don't want to believe it as much Mm -hmm. because they can't imagine someone being that high up committing that 
because terrible. that's the thing like these these men these clergy men represent compassion and they represent like God. this basic human fundamental value of love and respect and acceptance for each other and so it's the higher you move up that ladder the more they embody those ideals so it's like we don't it's we want to turn a blind eye to that because we've actively chosen to promote these men as representations of these core values and we don't want to think that we're wrong in doing that and we don't want to have to deal with our personal belief of having to like feel betrayed by that too yeah and I agree I definitely agree with you because like I could be an example of that I just got so excited talking about Pope Francis and I love him but like if anything were to come out against him I would feel really heartbroken because like you said Mm -hmm. I'm like he's such a compassionate man I'm not even Catholic but I still like you know really love the Pope and um you know I as you said before the um the extensive report of the abuse was in focused on Africa but you said there were 20 other countries and that was only in 1994 Mm -hmm. so imagine how widespread a report like that could be in 2019 exactly we just had a report come out like last week against Australia yeah so it's like these things keep cropping up and we keep choosing to just ignore them because it's like we we don't want to have to empathize with what the nuns are going through if we don't have to and it's like a self-protection measure measure yeah and last i think it was either last week or a few weeks ago we were talking about alva johnson's accusation of donald trump um you know like kissing Mm -hmm. her unconsensually after she told him you know i'm proud of your campaign i've been committing like you know left my family at home she for you for him yeah. committing her life to this cause and i think that there's this abuse of women who commit their life to these causes like you know and then for men in that cause to just see them as sex objects and say that because mm-hmm. like to exploit them is horrible because these are agents of your cause they are i mean with the nun it's not your co-worker but you know it is there is some sort of fraternal sororal thing it's not you know you shouldn't see them as a sex object yeah so um amelia you brought up the media hasn't really done as much as you think they can so what do you think can or should be done to not only prevent this from happening that widespread and have it happen at all but also control the already long-standing history within the church that's the thing. I don't know what can be done because the church has such control over it, over who can access it and who can't. And they have they've created such a reputation of being so incredibly secretive that I don't think it's the media's fault that they haven't been able to obtain access to this because they for centuries now they functioned and have thrived in this in this uh, secrecy. Mm-hmm. I agree. And if you if you've ever studied European history you'll see how intrinsic the values are of the church and religion as a whole. Mm -hmm. People use religion as a way to, you know, help themselves get through things in life. And I think people just really don't want to believe that the values that they hold so dear are being exploited. Like Valerie said, they're being exploited for someone's own personal gain. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very tragic that someone... That someone's passion for helping others or, you know, in the in the case with Donald Trump's example, with their passion mm-hmm. for um, that cause of like the political cause, that their passions are being exploited and just used totally for the wrong reasons. And I think it's a complete shame that these women who are nuns and I 
you know, I'm personally not Catholic, but these nuns, I respect them because mm-hmm. they're dedicating their whole lives for a cause that they believe in. And, it, you know, they help children, they help the elderly, they donate their time, their money, their energy for people they don't even know, usually, sometimes. So I think that for these people to just, for these nuns to just be completely disrespected, to just be made to feel invisible is just awful. And I think with the Me Too movement was kind of a a vehicle for them to say, okay, enough's enough. We're speaking out whether the Catholic Church likes it or not. Yeah, and you can only imagine how long this has gone on. Um, You know, if it's 2019 and out of what, how long has the Catholic Church been around? Like thousands, thousands, thousands of years. Thousands of years. Thousands of years. They're just speaking up now. It's it's kind of terrifying, and it must be really terrifying for all of the nuns and like all of the sisters speaking out, you know, about this to be shunned by the community. I mean, and like you said before, the hashtag #MeToo movement started in 2017, so that's two years later. So there's probably been a lot of like um trying to come out about it yeah and the power like the power dynamic is just so Mm -hmm. embedded at this point that i don't think that it's not something that we're going to see i think completely changed in our lifetimes because you don't erase something that's been around for a thousand like thousands of years but with that we do need to get ready to wrap up so as always thank you for joining us on rational radio this is philly's number one college radio station home of the temple university radio networking summit on march 29th from 10 a.m to 3 p.m located at 1755 north 13th street formerly known as the howard giddes student center uh kirby confer of forever media is our keynote speaker and he's going to be accompanied by other radio industry professionals Uh, This event is catered by Wawa, and for more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at WHIP Radio. Um, As always, make sure that if you want any more news or anything like that, check out some of our sister shows like The District or check out the podcast that we post um, like on Spotify and everything like that. Um, Yeah, and make sure you check out the weekly news crackdown too, which is WHIP's news department's kind of weekly roundup video about all the major headlines from the week. But um, yeah, that's it, guys. So thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.